Church. Welcome to a study on one of the most wonderful spiritual truths of all times. A spiritual truth that has radically changed the lives of millions who've embraced it. It's about the blessed assurance of the eternal gift of salvation that our loving Creator God is providing to all who will just accept it. We're filming today in what I regard as one of the most inspirational locations in the Northwest. The great redwood forest of Northern California. It's here amongst these giant trees that I feel like I'm in a land similar to what heaven will be like. A wonderful place where the trees grow up big and perfectly, the way they should, and where the wildlife roam unafraid. The exciting thing about all this is that today we can have complete assurance that you and I have been saved and can count on actually living eternally in a perfect land that the Book of Heaven tells us that God is preparing right now for all of us. But friends, let's be real. When we look at this crazy and imperfect world we now live in, at times some of us, in a moment of despair and worry, may doubt about having full assurance of receiving these amazing blessings that God offers. Has someone ever asked you, are you saved? Just how do you answer that? Or just how can one reply correctly? Would it even be a bit sinful to say with confidence, yes, I know that I'm saved? Or would it make you nervous? Because immediately, one's thoughts naturally turn to realizing how weak we are, remembering the bad things that we've done recently or in the past. Then you reason, how can God save a person like me? Friends, at one time or another, we all deal with concerns like this. I think of a dear friend, May Barron in Nome, Alaska, who in an unusual and frightful way was compelled to personally think about the subject of the assurance of salvation and just how she would stand if her life ended unexpectedly. Uh, my husband and I were traveling down the river going to our camp and he was in front of me with his four-wheeler and I was behind him. And I look up and down the river coming straight at us is this great big brown thing which I knew was a grizzly. But he was running full bore right at us and all I could think was get the gun, get the gun, stop and get the gun, because I didn't have one. And when I seen the bear stop and jump on a fish, it was just like, whew, boy, I was so glad that he wasn't coming after us. But it's just makes you stop and think, are you ready for something? Are you ready? to meet your maker when it comes to something like that. And 
Thank goodness I wasn't at that particular time, but it could have been. May's experience does make us wonder just how God will judge whether we're safe to save or not when Jesus comes again. Please follow me as we explore this important and wonderful truth. One of my favorite Bible texts on this subject is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. The story is told of Francis of Assisi, regarded by many as a saint, that while working in his garden one day, someone asked him the question, what would you do if you learned that Jesus was coming tonight? He calmly replied, I would finish hoeing my garden. Like him, by faith we too can have the deep, peaceful confidence about our salvation. You can trust in God's word. It all comes by believing in his promise. The book of heaven puts it this way. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved along with your household. So let me ask you again. Can we really believe that we're saved? I'm here to tell you, my friends, that we should be able to say humbly, yes, I am. I am saved because of God's amazing grace, and someday I'll live forever in a heavenly homeland that Jesus is preparing for us. This is why I wanted to share in this episode the scriptural truths and principles that will help us all to understand how we, too, can have this wonderful assurance and the peace that passes all understanding. Now here is one very important biblical principle. By grace you are saved, not of our works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift of God. Man's biggest problem of insecurity concerning our salvation is because our focus is based on our eligibility by our works and our behavior rather than on God's loving gift of grace. It is only because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for you and me that God is able to save us for eternity. Jesus warns us of this false way of looking at all this. He also gives us a big clue in understanding what he's looking for so he can safely save us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonderful works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Dear friends, it's possible to have a false sense of assurance when we depend on our own good works to save us. We really don't realize how wasted and weak we really are. Realistically, our human righteousness is just filthy rags compared to the covering of what is true righteousness that in Christ we can receive today. Now just how does this all work? 
The clue to all this is found in Jesus' own words. I never knew you. What Jesus is saying here is that God is not looking for people who are self-righteous and dependent on their own good works to save them. God is looking for people who realize that because of their weakness, they are totally dependent upon His mercy and help. These are people who want to be God's friends and who seek to know Him. This means to know day by day His plans for their lives and to learn from Him heaven's ways of true happiness. You see, it's only through our personal relationship or closeness with Jesus that we will grow and maintain our faith and develop the complete assurance of salvation. Only then will we come to see ourselves as we really are and capable of living a self-righteous life that we will then fall at Jesus' feet and claim His mercy and grace. As we humbly stay close to Him this way, He will give us divine power to live a successful, righteous life. We will also come to see and understand how God, through the gift and merits of Jesus, has worked the sin problem out in this old world in order to save us all. You see, it's because of His kindness we're drawn to Him. The Book of Heaven reminds us, It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. As we, in loving appreciation, surrender all to Jesus while we're here on this earth, our good works will spring up as a direct result of our closeness with Him. Because of the assurance of His love for us, the doors of our hearts will be opened for God to implant into our lives a natural desire to do what is right. There is a huge vacuum amongst many Christian people today in understanding this. To help us to see this wonderful Bible concept of the Christian's assurance, let me outline it by asking these three questions. Number one, have you been saved? Number two, are you being saved? And number three, will you be saved when Jesus comes again? To better answer the question, have I been saved? Ask yourself, have I ever accepted Jesus as my personal savior and friend? Accepting Jesus as my savior means that I understand that he came to live and die to cover my weakness and sinfulness and to show us what true righteousness really is. Because He is God, He can substitute the perfect life He lived for my imperfect life. Also, the death penalty for my sinfulness is covered by Jesus' death on the cross. Salvation is given to us by simply accepting and trusting in these facts. No matter who we are, no matter what wrongs we've done in the past, or how weak we are, He treats us as though we have never sinned and gives us the gift of eternal salvation if we just believe that God means what He says. The Book of Heaven says, God justifies us. Now what does this really mean to be justified? It goes beyond forgiveness as we will see. The Book of Heaven says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It all centers on how Jesus forgives us. When you ask God to forgive you, He not only forgives you, but also justifies you. That is, 
He erases the memory of your sin completely from his mind. And whenever you say to him, Oh no, I blew it, I sinned again, he would say, Again? What sin are you talking about? You see, my friends, you are now justified. God in his mind has thrown your sins into the depths of the sea, never to bring him up again. You see, Jesus paid the penalty for these sins with his own life, and you have been given a brand new clean slate. Your confessed and repented of sins have disappeared, so he treats you as though you've never sinned. Isn't it wonderful how God lovingly treats us if we just let him? Now this doesn't give one license to go on sinning, because remember Jesus said, go and sin no more. God has no use of keeping a file of your sins. He just wants you to learn from them and to move on with his help to a better way of living. That's justification. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned or judged for their sins, but they have already passed from death unto life. God and all of heaven joyfully accept people no matter where they are in life when they first attempt to reach out for his help. All who come to me I will in no wise cast out, and this is the will of the Father that everyone who sees the Son understands what he's done and continues to do for us and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Friends, no matter how weak we are or how bad we've been, by asking for forgiveness and just trusting God, we are accepted as his children and will be saved eternally. And this is all freely available to us because of what Jesus has done to cover our sinfulness with his perfection. This is one of my greatest thrills of soul winning, to see how people are relieved when they know that God freely forgives all of their sins in their past. It's the greatest news given to mankind. This is what the gospel is all about. Accepting the fact that Jesus covers my weakness changes the way I face temptation that may come my way. When I see God's caring love in all that he's asked me to do, it changes my reason for wanting to do what is right and to be a better person. Let me give you a personal experience that illustrates this. A few months ago, I got in my car, drove out of the driveway and down the street where I live. There at the end of the street, I was pulled over by a policeman who gave me a ticket for not having my seatbelt on. At that point, I got a little smart with the policeman and said, that does not make sense. I can see my house from here. He took and threw the ticket at me and said, that's the law. I found myself really upset about this and quite rebellious about this. Then last month, I pulled up to a stoplight and a policeman pulled up alongside of me. And I realized I didn't have my seatbelt on and he said, for your protection and for others, you better have your seatbelt. You know, that meant so much to me because he was kind about it, and he gave me a reason why I should wear a seatbelt. It's the same way with God. He never asks us to do anything unless it's for our own good. But then you may still ask, how do I remember all of this considering my forgetful nature 
and the challenge of dealing with life's battles and discouraging times. This brings us to the second question, am I being saved? The Bible answer to this ties us all together. God has given eternal life to us, and we have this life through His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son doesn't have life. I'm writing to tell those of you who trust in the name of the Son of God so you can be certain that you have eternal life. Has the Son. Now what does this mean? It is like having a close friendship. You talk to him. He talks to you and you do things together. Now exactly what does it mean to have Christ? It's like me saying I have a wife, someone that is close to me. I communicate with her, she communicates with me. We do everything together in all the affairs of our life. This is what it means to have Jesus, for him to be with us in everything we do. This is what Jesus meant when he said, Abide in me and me in you. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now there are three main tangible ways we abide in Jesus. Prayer, Bible study, and sharing Jesus with others in service. Take prayer. It's like talking and sharing your feelings with a friend who's always next to you. Prayer is not just walking around with our hands folded and our eyes closed, but constantly in the back of our mind having an attitude of an open heart of turning to God with all the issues of life that daily confront me. Studying the Bible is how God talks to us. It's important to our spiritual life that we learn to listen to His words. It's to God's Word that we turn to Him for the right answers in life and for deeper understanding of His plans for us. It's important to regularly take time to study His Word and fellowship in a church with your brothers and sisters who also trust in what the Scripture says to us. The other tangible way of staying close to God is continually helping and serving others by relieving their sufferings and giving them hope and encouragement. This is how we learn to work together with Jesus. In this way we can abide with Him by working hand in hand with the Holy Spirit as He abides in our hearts. This love for others is what Jesus puts in our hearts when we abide in Him. I like this promise text. We know that we have passed from death to life when we have love for others. So that is how one enters into a meaningful and abiding relationship with Jesus, through prayer, Bible study, and sharing Jesus in Christian service. Here I'd like to share with you a couple of inspired statements from a little book called Steps to Christ. They have helped me so much personally to understand what it means to abide in Jesus. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be, Take me, Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service, and abide with me, and let all my work be wrought in thee. This is a daily matter. Consecrate yourself to God for that day. And as you do this, something happens. Your life in Christ will become a life of restfulness. 
I want this kind of peace in my life, don't you? Just remember this. Keep your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares, and your fears before God. You cannot burden Him. You cannot weary Him. Take to Him everything that perplexes your mind. The experience of abiding in Christ is an experience of growing in grace and learning what we call settling into the faith. The Book of Heaven illustrates the Christian spiritual life like the way corn grows. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. While those who are in Christ are considered by Heaven as God's children, yet they may still fall off the wagon at times. In our walk with Jesus, we may still say, I am so weak. I have so much farther to grow. I still blow it at times. I have so many spiritually unhealthy thoughts and feelings I still wrestle with. But the wonderful news to those who consistently hold on and still are seeking closeness with God, this promise is given. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous, for he himself is the propitiation for our sins. If we seek a continuous abiding like this, with the Holy Spirit's help, sooner or later one of these has to go. Either you let your life be controlled by Jesus and be free, or by the devil and be a slave. It's that cut and dried, my friends. The Book of Heaven puts it this way, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And so, my friends, it comes down to this one thing, and that is not focusing on my own strength and my own thinking, but focusing on Christ and the way He does things. This is where the assurance of salvation is experienced. It's all in abiding with Jesus. You see, God rewards our attitude because it shows Him where our heart is. We desire to live heaven's ways because we generally want to. This He can work with throughout all eternity until we become all He wishes us to be. Here's a wonderful summary from the Book of Heaven of what God would have us do. How can you know true freedom? It's heaven's peace you need. Heaven's forgiveness and peace with God in your soul. Money cannot buy it. Intellect cannot procure it. Wisdom cannot attain to it. You cannot by your own efforts secure it. But God offers it to you as a gift. Without money and without price, all you need to do is by trust in God, reach out and take it. Now learning to abide in Jesus doesn't fully come overnight. It is something we consistently work at, growing stronger over time. As long as we're wanting to know God in His ways better, the Book of Heaven says that the Lord sees us safe to save throughout eternity. Is this wonderful news or what? The amazing thing is that God is not only the author, but the finisher of our faith also. That is what we find in the Book of Heaven in Hebrews 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So as long as we daily turn to Him in all the affairs of our lives, we can't possibly lose. When I see God's caring love and all that He's asked me to do, it changes my reason for wanting to do what is right and to be a good person. I want to do what is right because it is right and not because I'm afraid of hell or just counting on the rewards that I may get in heaven. 
I just want to do what God wants me to do because I love and revere Him as my Creator and my Savior. That's the difference. This brings us to our third and final question. Will I be saved when Jesus comes again? The answer to the last question is inevitable if we can say yes to the first two questions. Am I learning more and more each day to abide in Jesus through prayer and the study of His Word? If your answer is yes, then you have been saved, and you're being saved now, and you will be saved when Jesus comes again. You know, this is the greatest news that you and I could ever hold on to. In closing, let me tell you of an experience I had when it comes to having an assurance that we will be saved. I believe that God gives us an assurance in our heart at the times we need it. I was flying in a commercial airliner up in Alaska, and as the plane came into Ketchikan, we hit a storm. As the plane banked to the left, and I was on the left side of the plane, the plane dropped 800 feet because of a wind gust. And as I looked down, I saw the mountain and the trees coming up towards us, and I thought, oh no, this is the way everything is going to end. And I said, Lord, I put myself in your hands. And there came a peace across my heart and my mind, a peace that I never knew before, that God was in control. And that's what happens when you have the assurance of salvation, of letting God lead in your life. I wish you too may have this restfulness of soul, knowing that your Creator loves you dearly and that you're precious to Him and He has done everything to save you. Friends, there's so much more to life than what this whole world has to offer. Today you can have the blessed assurance needed to be always at peace and to have the security of knowing that we are heaven-bound and that as we live or die, we can be at peace when Jesus comes again. Praise the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, I look forward to you being my neighbor in heaven throughout all eternity. And so, until then, let only the Good Spirit guide you.